Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful day. We do bless you, and we thank you that you are our God, and you are moving on our lives to glorify yourself, to work everything for our good, to help us submit in love to the Holy God of the universe. We thank you that you first loved us, and that your love moved you to die on the cross for us. We thank you that all things are your servants. And the great mystery, Holy God, is how you work all those things together to accomplish your will, to move us to do what you would like us to do, and to grow into the Christians you would like us to be. And, Holy God, that you are able to accomplish your will no matter what. And we would pray, even with Job, that your will cannot be thwarted. And we look to seek you and to seek you alone in your goodness and your power and your mercies. Help us, Lord Jesus, understand your word. Help us to fit your word together so that it makes sense for us and that we would accomplish your will for our lives, especially our faith and our enjoyment of you. We commit this time to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Savior and our God, because we desire nothing but what you desire and we look to nothing but to what you would have for us. You've shown us in time in our lives, your will is the best. So we submit to you, submit our hearts to you, and pray that you would teach us today. We bless you, and we thank you for your holy mercies. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and in the mysterious mercies of God, I am the host of the podcast. And it did occur to me that it's mysterious in the way he calls us to do what he wants us to do. And nobody is more overwhelmed by his mercies and his movements in all our lives than I am. And the truth is, by him and him alone, I get to host this podcast for a little while, the time I have left. And I do pray every day that God will work through his word to help move everyone who listens, you, to a wonderful prayer life, and to help you and us continue in that same soul-satisfying prayer life all the days that we're here on earth. And I also pray that everything that I do or say or plan, which might hinder you, that God himself will nullify those things and make you forget them and move so that you concentrate on what you need today. We know from the Gospel of John that it's only in abiding in him and his power that anything of eternal import is accomplished. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In our review, 
of some of the lessons in the past, we stumbled into the idea of emotions and how they make us move through our prayer lives and growth in our prayer lives. And we've been discussing the last couple of episodes and will for the Wednesday episodes for the next few weeks anyway, we've been discussing the illustration that I used early on equating our prayer lives and growth in our prayer lives with the way how babies learn to talk. And we've been specifically discussing, or we will specifically discuss in the weeks to come here, how babies and why babies push through all the obstacles there are in learning to talk. They keep trying through their frustrations and their failures. They keep trying and they push ahead in their efforts to learn how to talk, to learn how to communicate verbally. And as I was thinking about this, because prayer is a natural thing to us, so once again, as I was thinking about how that illustration rings true in our prayer lives, it occurred to me just that, that the struggle that babies have. And many of us have listened to little children talking, and they're actually speaking gibberish, right? The words that they're saying don't make any sense or they're out of order. Sometimes they're not words at all. And if we're good listeners, we listen and then we repeat to see if that's what they were saying. And very often we get that wrong and we get it wrong over and over again until their little faces just just squinch up out of frustration. They're trying to talk. They know what they're saying. We don't. And usually at that point we slow down and listen a little harder and, and try to pick up other clues to see what they're saying. So they do have frustration as they're learning to talk. Sometimes they get laughed at as well, right? Or told that they've used maybe a word that they shouldn't be using. And in an effort to to know how to form this, to, to deepen our understanding of that process and therefore our process in our prayer lives, I did a very unscientific survey of several of the people I know. Not everyone. I picked a few that I knew I would get different answers from. And I received some very profound and helpful thoughts, some things I hadn't thought of before that we will be going over in the next couple of Wednesdays at least. This whole rabbit trail, if you will, has become much more involved than I initially thought. I'm personally enjoying it and learning, but I didn't anticipate it being more than one short episode or one short review. But I'm glad that it did. We we are trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And I believe for our Wednesday episodes for a while, he is leading this way. One of the basic truths, though, that I've been thinking about is we really don't as a species, I think that's the right word, as humanity, we really don't need to have sophisticated language to get our physical needs met. Now that I'm an old man, I can look back and, with some certainty, assert that parents, especially as my limited observations go, my own family, my wonderful wife, and my daughters and their babies, six of them now, as I've observed them, they can tell, and parents, I think, in general can tell, not me, of course, but insightful parents, they can tell if a new baby's, if their cry is born of hunger, tired, sick, angry, frustrated. Usually the moms listen to those cries and they know what the baby needs. And even frustration. Sometimes we're not sure what they're frustrated by, but we can tell that they are just plain frustrated. 
And so I think we could communicate with one another, get our physical needs met by just grunting at each other and pointing. Now, of course, we are designed to talk. That's what God designed us to do. He created us to do that. That's part of our natural creation, who we are, how God has built us. But in the very basics, again, grunting, pointing, crying, communicating with one one another in that fashion, we could probably survive as a physical being. But we know our needs run much deeper than our physical needs. And those deeper needs, and we'll see that again in the weeks to come, those deeper needs are part of what drives babies to learn how to speak, to practice how to speak, and desire to talk, to communicate through words. The last time we looked at emotions and we saw that our emotions are given to us by our Creator, and in our fallenness, they mirror very unsatisfactorily, very unclearly, they mirror His emotions. He does have emotions. We looked at those last time. And as we think of our makeup as human beings, of our creation, of who God made us, Our emotions, the emotions of our being, they fall under the purview of Psalm 119, 90, and 91. And here David says, Thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Thou didst establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to thine ordinances, for all things are thy servants. I love that verse. I noticed it a long time ago, and I use it all the time. It brings peace to my soul. They stand this day according to thine ordinances, for all things are thy servants, and they are. Everything is his servant. That's how Romans 8.28 can say, all things work together for our good. If he didn't control all things, if he didn't control all things, he couldn't promise that. And today we want to attest Our emotions, even though they're fallen, are used by God as motivators to draw us closer to Him. Our emotions really do that. And I didn't look anything up for this, but I probably get some of this from Jonathan Edwards and his Religious Affections, his book on religious affections. It's worth a read. It's worth to wade through. But when we look at our emotions and our relationship with God, there are several things that popped into my mind. At one point in the Gospel of John, Jesus is teaching and people are leaving. You'll remember he turns to the disciples and he says, Are you going to leave too? And you remember Peter said, Where can we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. The reality is that the disciples, especially judging by their questions and their wonder, on the night before Jesus was crucified, they didn't understand any more of what Jesus was saying or only a little bit more of what Jesus was saying than the rest of the crowds who were leaving. But they did know intimately the love of Jesus and the truth of his words. And in their love back, Peter says, where shall we go? The knowledge is the truth of God, but the emotion is we got nowhere else to go, Jesus, but you. So they stayed. One of my favorite passages, most moving, and I go there sometimes when I'm feeling down, is in Exodus, when Moses, during his lowest days, we can see him as sad and frustrated. He's sad because of the Israelites. He's frustrated by the Israelites. I think he's sad and frustrated with his own lack of faith here. 
the way he calls out to God. And he is at the end of his emotional rope. He doesn't understand what the plan of God is. He doesn't know it fully. It hasn't unfolded. And so things are unclear and he's frustrated. And he basically calls out, this is just my paraphrase, Fred's paraphrase. He tells the Lord, if you don't go with us, I can't go. I can't go on. And God promises that he is going to go with them. But Moses then cries out, if you don't show me your glory, I cannot take another step. That's how frustrated Moses was. And then, of course, God puts him in the cleft of the rock and shows him the back of his glory because no man in the flesh can look at the full glory of God and survive. But he shows Moses enough so that Moses is energized and able to now start taking those steps ahead. And it's no wonder we read in Psalm 90, that's a psalm written by Moses. We're just going to read a little bit, verse 7, 8, and 9. For we have been consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we have been dismayed. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. For all our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. This psalm, Psalm 90, is generally believed to be written towards the end of Moses' life. He's in a contemplative mood through this psalm. But that frustration, that kind of sadness, knowing the justice of God, the anger of God, and the mercies of God, the love of God, leads him to plead this in verses 14 through 16. O satisfy us in the morning with thy loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us. And in the years we have seen evil, let thy work appear to thy servants and thy majesty to their children. Holy God, I thank thee that our sorrow, sadness, our frustrations, Lord, our weak and little faith, those are also all servants to drive us to thee. Our weaknesses truly drive us to a closer walk with thee. I want to go back again to Peter in John 21. Peter is sorrowful over his failure. He boasted just a couple days ago that no matter what everybody else did, no matter what all the other disciples did, he said, I will never run away from you. And the night of Jesus' trial, the day of Jesus' trial, was glorious and terrible at the same time. It was glorious in our salvation, and it was terrible in the price that had to be paid for that salvation. And you remember, even though Peter was told he would deny, and even though he said he wouldn't, he did. And Peter, seeing the gaze of his loving Savior as he denied his Lord for the third time, that sorrow that Peter had, that failure, made him run away and weep bitterly. And I think in the very first episode, or maybe the second, we looked at this more in depth. But in chapter 21, Peter... I believe, still haunted by his failure and his sorrow and his sadness, his weak love for Jesus, he decides to go back fishing. These emotions Peter had, out of context and out of Peter's knowledge at this point in time, the full forgiveness that Jesus had for him at this point in time, he doesn't realize that yet. These emotions pushed Peter away from Jesus and his plan, not closer. So they went fishing back to their careers, 
At the end of the night, you remember the story. They had nothing in their boats. They brought nothing up. As they're coming in, tired and weary, Jesus comes to them, comes to them on the shore, and he tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. And at that, the fish swarmed in. Fishermen here in the Northwest and maybe all over the world have a saying, those fish were jumping in the boat. That's how quickly they were catching them. In this case, literally, the fish swam at the command of their creator right into the nets of the fishermen. When I was a teenager, we were fishing in this little creek, and it was a fun place to fish. And I had my pole, and I was, I think, believe, talking to one of my cousins. And my line, my hook, was about three inches above the water. And a fish jumped out of the water to get that worm that was dangling in midair. It was kind of amazing. That's only happened to me once. But that's kind of an illustration. Those fish were jumping into their boat, and they had so much that they they could barely bring them in. When that happened, Peter realized who was standing on the shore, that it was Jesus. It was his Savior. It was the God who loved his soul. So he tore off his outer garments, and he dove into the water, and he swam to Jesus. The joy that Peter had, even the hint of joy that Jesus was there, compelled Peter to draw closer to his good shepherd. He hadn't even gone through the experience of the end of the chapter, had he? But that was enough. Once he got to the shore, they had a little bit to eat. Jesus took him aside, probably with John, and Peter's emotional healing was completed as Jesus made it clear that even though Peter's love for him was not all that Peter had claimed it to be, he, Jesus' call on Peter's life, had not changed. He told him three times, feed my sheep. And Peter knew he failed. He wasn't as strong as he thought he was. But the glorious message that Jesus gave him was his call was still the same. You can't go back to fishing. I've made you a fisher of men. Feed my sheep. And even in this moment, Peter, newly healed from his shame, his sorrow, he was ready. He now accepted the fact that Jesus, his Savior, who loved him so deeply, even with Peter's weak love back, Peter accepted the fact that he was going to die his own horrible, crucified death. Even that didn't keep Peter in his love for Jesus from drawing near to Jesus, even knowing how he would die. And as we saw in Peter's life, his shame did drive him to repentance. Sweet Lord Jesus Christ, again, I thank thee that our shame is purposed. You gave us that, and you use it to drive us closer to thee. Thank you, Jesus. And what a humbling thing it would be to have to write for all eternity, for everyone who ever read the Bible, that my sin of pride was so profound that God had to send a thorn of affliction to me just so that I would be the effective servant, the effective slave that I was supposed to be in his plan for my life. And yet, in 2 Corinthians 12, that's exactly what Paul says, isn't it? I am so prideful. And I am so hard-hearted that if God did not send me this thorn in the flesh that I asked him to remove, and he said no, I would not be able to serve him effectively. That's what Paul says. 
in verse 7, he says it like this. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, those are that Paul had, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. As he confessed the depth of his pride, he was able to say in 9 and 10, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly now, Paul says, Therefore I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with the difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And again, for everyone who wants to do the will of God, when we do it in our power, the power of Christ doesn't dwell in us. We have to learn to do it in his power. Holy God, again, I thank thee that our pride shows us the depth of our hard hearts, our sin, and our distance from thee. And we also confess, we thank you confessing today that our pride my pride is thy servant, and thou dost convict my soul, break my pride, and draw me closer to thee. And even as I pray, Lord Jesus, I think of David. Behold, thou dost desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Holy God, I thank you for my broken bones. I want to finish this episode today with two biblical examples of how our emotions drive us to prayer. The first one, I do hope you know, it's in Nehemiah 1. In Nehemiah, when he heard about the state of Israel at that time, the people who went back, and what a sorry state it was in, Verse 4 says this, and we're going to read through 5, 6. And now it came about, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him, and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and let thine eyes open. Let thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned, hearing the state of his homeland. He didn't get mad, and he didn't get angry, and he didn't rebel from God. He was driven to his knees in sorrow. And in Ezra 9, as Ezra is reading the law, the people understand that they have been unfaithful as well, especially in their marriages. And after they discovered this in verse 5 of Ezra 9, it reads this way, But at the evening offering I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment, and my robe torn. And I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. O oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities have risen above our heads, 
and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. He did this in the sight of the people and following Ezra's example, verse 9 says, So all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days, and it was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. And there Ezra the priest stood up. Now I'm back to the verse. You have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, and do his will, and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, That's right, as you have said, so it is our duty. Learning of their guilt and sin, again, didn't push them away from God, but through Ezra the priest, Nehemiah still, it drew them closer to God. There are many mysteries in the Christian life, and one of the greatest is being broken at the foot of the throne of God is the very sweetest place we will ever be in this life. But today, I do need to confess to you guys listening, to everyone listening, that my pride, my sins, my iniquities, my sorrow, my sadness, my frustration, my weak faith, my shame are all tools of the Holy God of the universe. They are his servants. And prayer is what he has used to shepherd this lowly, simple, sinful slave by his mercies to that broken place and increased adoration for him. I emailed a friend today, an unsaved friend, that this is the best time of my life. And that flows from being broken before him. And as I work more and more in this ministry of teaching prayer, talking about prayer, maybe is a better way to put it. As I get further and further into it, it deepens my prayers that everyone who listens, all the children of God, even the ones who don't listen, because there's way more of you there than there are who listen, that God will, by his providence, in his way, bring them to this prayer life, to a prayer life that will shepherd them to be broken before him, to have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, and to pray daily that the sheep of his pasture will seek him more and more as he teaches and we read and we learn that we would be moved increasingly to seek his presence and that sweet communion with him. In this life, that's called prayer. And in this life, this one life we have to live by faith, we can know eternal life, knowing God. And prayer and the reading of the word carry us to that place, the sweet place of humbling ourselves before him. I do thank you for listening. When I did the episode a couple of days ago, I fretted a little that maybe I had overstated the issue. But as I get deeper in this, I don't believe I've overstated the issue. Our emotions, in perspective, and under the control of the Holy Spirit, are one of the tools that God has to move us closer and closer to Him. Don't shrink back from your trials, and don't shrink back from your emotions. Pray that God will help you use them 
in your maturity and in the maturing of your prayer life. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace in all things through his very transcendent presence. Thank you once again for listening to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. We have been reminded over the last several weeks how important community is. Community is how you young people say it these days. In Fred's day, they called it fellowship. Fred and I would like to extend once again the invitation to expand our prayer community. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or would just like to dialogue over prayer, please remember, you can contact the podcast at freerangepreacher at gmail.com. Facebook, Free Range Preacher Ministries. Instagram, Free Range Ministries. Twitter, at Preacher Range. And for any voiceover needs, I'm at richarddurrington.com or email me at durringtonr at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. We're eager to hear from you. For Fred and myself, be blessed.